It is 11.06, an hour early today, a two-hour bacchanalia <laughs> of pain management. Dr. Pain Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Info at paincarecanada.com. Get that consultation happening. If you have uh, issues, we'd like to talk to you uh, today over the next two hours. It is, uh, we are right smack dab in the middle of slip and fall season. I mean, it is, it's brutal out there. Car accident yeah. season, oh, the way yeah. it's going totally. right now. Yeah, totally. Actually, I've seen quite a bit of, uh, um, had a quite a bit of calls come through about people in uh, in car accidents mm-hmm. and the chronic injuries that they've suffered. These aren't necessarily accidents that had happened in the last week or so, but I guess we've been talking about it a little bit right. in um, in the last few weeks leading up to the bad weather, and people have called me um, with the issues that they've had and going forward. Um, I saw a lady um, a few weeks ago, actually, that had had... She had had two accidents. One was, uh, um, I think, 2008, 2009, something like that. She had hurt her spine, spine-related issues. Um, they resolved. Um, and then 2014, I am might be getting the dates a little bit off, but around there, it was like mm-hmm. a significant amount of time apart. Um, she ends up having another accident. Uh, and all of those same injuries are re-aggravated. Um, and some new injuries as well. Now, the thing that's different about this accident is she never actually recovers fully, where in the first accident right. she did. Um, and, you know, that's not uncommon. A lot of people do have two accidents, and for whatever reason, the first one, they recover well, or at least they think they fully recovered, right? They don't feel anything. Yep. And then the second one can just re-aggravate everything um, and make it much harder to deal with going Because forward. of the first one. Maybe, maybe yeah, not. You're yeah. older too. This is five years yep. later. There's a lot of things that, that come into play here. I We can't say beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt that had she never had a second accident, she'd never have pain again, right? We can't, we can't say that for sure. But what we can say is what we know. And what we know is that after that first accident, she had recovered. Um, and then she had another accident, and both were rear-end collisions. They were almost the same type of accident. The, the she, she was the person in both instances that was stopped and was rear-ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and and both were at a similar speed that she was rear-ended at uh, as well. So, um, but again, we've gone through this a lot lately, but you have to consider the amount of weight force um, in these cars, and then it gets transferred into the human body. There's a lot of things that can go wrong chronically for a long period of time. Um, and she's basically, she's been through the ringer now after the last few years trying to get this all resolved. And she basically came in and she said, listen, I, I know I have chronic pain. I, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. But what can I do? Like, what, what are my options at this point? And so we went through everything. And, and, you know, she's exhausted all the different types of therapies that could possibly be done. Uh, medication. She wants, she's trying to limit how much medication she's on, obviously, as yeah. well. And, you know, the one thing that I really found, and it's unfortunate that I find, so if, if, if you're listening and you're someone that's been hurt in a car accident and you're already receiving therapy, the one unfortunate thing here is that often the rehabilitation component, the proper exercises of the things that should be getting done are not getting done. And that's really where there's a hindrance long-term in, in these people getting better. Because once I went through her history with her, that's what she said. She said, I've seen every different type of professional you can imagine, but I've never really done a good exercise program. She did say, you know, I've had the therapist sometimes give me a sheet of paper and say, here's a list of exercises to do at no. home. But that's not specific enough. And, and that's also not why someone's coming to see you. They're not coming to see you so that you can give them a piece of paper and say, here, go do these, go figure it out. No, you should be 
rehabilitation, we've gone through this a lot, has to be graded. It has to be introduced in what is the person's capacity at that point in time. You have to give them rehabilitation that fits them at that point in time. Like anything, your body will adapt and will will those same exercises will cease happen. to become useful. Correct. Right. And so it's up to the practitioner. How do you continually challenge this person's body with these rehabilitation exercises. But when I say challenge, you also have to make sure that you're not doing things that are going to aggravate the person's injuries either. There's a big difference here between hurt versus harm. And that was one of the things that she said to me. She's like, I've tried to go to the gym and do stuff on my own, but I feel a lot of pain after. Mm-hmm. And and I said, has anyone ever spoken to you about hurt versus harm? And she said, no, what what do you mean by that? And I said, well, there's some things that when you're living with chronic pain, some things can hurt you, but they're not necessarily harmful, like doing the right exercises, because we all know if you do the right exercises, of course, you're going to have some pain after. That's just the reality of being an active person. But then there's other things that may not hurt you at all, but are potentially very, very harmful, like doing nothing. People who have chronic pain and do nothing, they don't move around, they don't try to be active. That doesn't necessarily hurt them, but it's very harmful long term. So you have to look at things. Are they are things potentially hurting you that are harmful and vice versa? Because a lot of the times the recommendations that a professional will make do hurt when you're doing them, right. but they're not harmful towards your long term health. They're actually beneficial. And then the things that you think I'm going to avoid, I'm not going to do, I don't want to do this may not hurt at all because you're not doing anything, but that could potentially be very, very right. harmful long term. And so, again, it's the practitioner's job. And in this instance, it was quite sad because what I was able to deduct from speaking with this person is that really the practitioner she was dealing with, no one really explained this stuff to her and no one really introduced all of these exercises into her program. This sounds like you. Other health concerns, we'd love to talk to you right till 1 o'clock this afternoon, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. If it sounds like we're on early, we are. Yeah, we are a little bit early today, so that's... Uh, that is good times. So uh, phone calls 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Common car accident problems and health issues like backs. That's the, the gift that keeps on giving for y- sure. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that almost, I, I mean, I don't know the statistics and, I, and I'm going to be hesitant to, to give a number, but I would say almost all car accident patients that I see have some type of spinal complaint as right. well. Um, I can't, it's not necessarily that the spinal complaint is always the worst out of all the injuries, uh, depending on what happens. But for sure, I, I, most people will say, you know, even if they're, they jam their knee into the dashboard and right. they end up having a fracture, they'll say, yeah, I've got a knee fracture and I also have low back pain or upper back pain. It's just, I, I can't imagine that you could get hit in a car or have a car accident in any manner. I don't, I don't really care the rear end. T-bone, front end collision, et cetera, et cetera. Like they're all going to affect the spine somehow, right? I, I just think that that's the the people that I see always have some type of spinal complaint. And like I said, maybe it's not the predominant injury um, if there's something worse going on, but it does seem like there's something there usually related to the spine. Then depending on the type of accident, like if it's a rear end collision or a T-bone, and depending on where you're sitting in the car, passengers um, tend to have a lot of knee injuries that happen for whatever reason because their knees hit the dashboard yeah. um, or the airbag or whatever. So that tends to happen or even people sitting in the back. Uh, head injuries are obviously something to always be uh, very concerned of where people hit their head on some part of the car. There's a seat behind you. There's things in front of you. You've got the glass to your side. So, yeah. again, depending on where you get hit, if you if – you, um, 
if you get hit, that that's going to happen. And one of the questions that we always ask is, did you lose consciousness during the accident? Um, and a lot of people sometimes can't remember, right? It all happened so quick. Obviously, if, if there's someone there that knows, okay, I, I saw that this person lost consciousness. But a lot of the times people are involved in accidents, they're on their own. Um, and so a question becomes, did you lose consciousness? And sometimes the answer is, I'm not really sure. I, I don't remember. Um, in those instances, obviously having a good healthcare professional make sure that there's, we've talked about this, the biggest risk with any head injury after a car accident is some type of internal bleeding in the brain. Um, so you got to make sure you got to rule that out. Um, and, you know, there are there have been some sad cases of people who, um, you know, slip, fall, hit their head and think, or a car accident, whatever it may be. And think, okay, nothing, nothing major here, um, just a concussion, and it can end up being much, much worse. I actually had a um, a patient of mine that was a fighter and uh, an MMA guy, and he uh, he was fighting, and he had had repeated concussions, mm. um, and he had a, another fight that was lined up, and he ended up having what he thought was another concussion, but he didn't feel quite right. Uh, ended up going to the hospital. They did a scan of the brain. Initially, the doctors dismissed it. They thought, ah, you just just another concussion, yeah. Uh, but they said, obviously, we're going to do our due diligence. We'll take a scan, go home after. If there's anything, we'll give you a call. Sure enough, there there was a brain bleed, and it was even displacing the ventricles which in within the brain, which is potentially life-threatening. So luckily, it was all caught in time. Uh, he was dealt with appropriately. But when I've talked to him, the reason why I bring this up is when I've talked to him, it really felt no different than the concussions he had had before. So you don't always know, right? And you got to make sure if you have some type of, of head trauma that it's nothing more serious than a concussion is essentially the absence of any physical trauma to the brain, but still with some type of neurological symptom, which again, you're not necessarily going to be uh, in a life-threatening situation from a concussion, but obviously having a bleed in your brain, some type of hemorrhaging is a life-threatening uh, scenario. And that doesn't necessarily mean it always presents badly right away. Uh, sometimes it can start very slowly. So, and there are, the good thing is, is a prudent practitioner will be able to pick up if there is something wrong, just mm -hmm. based on symptoms that you're describing and physical signs that we would see in, in, in a neurological exam. Um, and if anything pops up in that, then obviously that's, you're going to need to go to the emergency room and quickly have a CT scan of the brain to make sure that there's no uh, internal bleeding. So obviously any head trauma, that's always important to consider. We've talked about spine related stuff. I would say after you deal with the spine, a lot of people complain of shoulder injuries with car yeah. accidents, especially if you're the driver. Um, and you're holding the steering wheel and there's some type of impact, the shoulder uh, joint in the whole upper extremity is the most mobile and most unstable joint. So it's not uncommon that people suffer yep. some type of shoulder injury. I, I, I more rarely will see the elbow and the hand. Um, and, you know, foot, same thing is, is pretty rare. Knee injuries we've talked about and hip related to the back, obviously, uh, usually goes one with the other. People do have some type of complaint, but definitely that the core part of the body, the, the back, the head, those are the areas to really, really be concerned and are often most involved in car accidents and um, during these times of the year, which, I mean, a car accident can happen at any time of the year, of course, but uh, during the winter season, it does seem to be more prevalent. If you have a story or injury that relates to any of this, please give us a call or anything else for that matter. Suffering some pain, you want some answers, some questions asked, you can do it now. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Lots more Dr. Payne Show on the way. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dr. Payne Show at 1122, open phone lines, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have pain concerns, bring them on. We're here to talk and 
Dr. Payne, Dr. E- Lou, even to, to answer your stories. questions. Another yeah, stories thing, too. Another thing, you know, you don't have to give me a call right now on the air uh, to necessarily ask me a question, but if you have something you want to share, there's a lot of people that are mm-hmm. listening uh, that are looking for answers. So uh, I think a lot of the times people will call me and leave me a message, and a lot of the times they're just kind of sharing their story with me, and I and I love hearing them because I learn different things that people have tried that um, work. Now, obviously. You know, if if you call and you say you did this and it's not really supported by any good evidence that I can think of, I'm not going to necessarily right. say that I recommend that for everybody. But I'm also the type of person that's uh, of, of the belief that, hey, if something worked for you, even though there's no evidence to support it and it worked for you, that's great. We just can't make recommendations to the general public sure. about that, right? Yep. That's that's kind of the way these things work. So, um you know, but I, I do love hearing the different things that people try and people come up with their some crazy things that work. And, you know, a lot of the times you got to consider, is it potentially a placebo effect, too? But even then, if it is, who cares? It's I've still had, real. I've had people talk to me and say, oh, well, that was just a placebo effect. And it's like, yeah, but if it worked for that person, does it really matter what we call yeah. it, whether we call it a placebo or medicine or an intervention? If it helped and they feel better, that's great. The only thing that I'm often hesitant about is you can't make that as a recommendation for, for everybody. I had one person that we were treating um, for their knee and they somehow, I'm not really sure how they heard of this, where they started putting, we had done quite a bit of treatment for his knee. um, But in the meantime, while he was getting treatment, he was also getting a bar of soap, putting it in a sock and put and tying it around his knee at night. Um, And he came in and, uh, uh, and I remember him telling, like, you know, I remember him ask, asking him after we did our reevaluation, I'm like, how you been feeling? He's like, oh, I'm doing much better. I'm like, great. So the therapy's working. And he was like, well, I don't think it's the therapy. And I said, well, what do you mean? What is it then? He goes, well, I read on the internet, um, you know, to do this. And he's been doing that. And he's like, and it's really been working. It's like, well, how do you know it was not, it was probably more likely the therapy. If you're getting therapy at the same time, there's a lot of research. A bar of soap and a sock? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so it was something crazy. And and I didn't argue with him. I just simply said, hey, the good news here is you're better. And that's that's what we want to see. But yeah, people have tried some very strange things. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Good morning, Bev. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Sure. Go ahead. What's your concern? Um, I'm a curler. And I have torn the meniscus in both of my knees at one point or another. I have had them both scoped. Mm -hmm. I'm still a very active sports person, and I'm feeling twinges in one of the knees again. I'm wondering if the meniscus, once it's scoped, is it it totally repaired? Can Mm -hmm. it be torn again? And if it's the same injury, can it be repaired a second time? Um, Yeah, so absolutely any time that... You know, could it be the meniscus again? Can a meniscus be re-injured? Absolutely. A scope essentially will fix potentially whatever the injury was at that time. But if um, you do, you know, here's the thing about a lot of meniscus injuries. It's often, they often are injured related to a functional thing that someone's doing. And um, so a lot of times people will have the meniscus repaired, but they don't necessarily change the functional thing that's right. making that it go it. wrong. Yeah. Um, and so then what ends up happening is eventually, like you're you're describing, it just gets re-aggravated. And so, you know, the next part of your question is, will having a scope again potentially fix it? That depends. I, I That would take a knee surgeon to who does scopes to analyze it and say, okay, yeah, I, I think the outcomes would still be good because it's this type of meniscal injury. Because there's different types of meniscal injuries. We can't just clump them all together. Um, okay. But I think the important... I'm sorry. I've tried to strengthen my knees by going to the gym three times a week and working my knees and, and that kind of thing. I'm not willing to give up curling. And, uh, no, no. <laughs> and it's, and not, no. It's, not a good, it's not a good sport for knees. 
Yeah, no, right? yeah. Um, is I'm not I'm not an expert on curling, obviously, but is there any way? One of the things that we try to do with people is, you know, a lot of athletes obviously don't want to give up their sports, but they're functionally doing something that's aggravating some type of injury. We just try to modify things. So I'm not really sure if there's a way, maybe. And again, I, I'm making an assumption here. I don't know for sure that this is related to the curling. It could also be related to the way you sit at home or the way you walk or whatever it may be, but. Um, you know, if there's potentially a way to modify some of the things that you do while you're curling that that put less strain on that area, then that's potentially something to consider is just modification, right? Like, that's a big thing that we use in workplace injuries where, um, you know, we can't essentially always say, well, you can never work again. We just need to say, well, you can work. We just need to kind of Different. modify what it is you're doing so that you're not aggravating these issues. So it can be done in, in sport as well so that, you know, you can still play the sport that you want to play. Um, but maybe modifying something about that sport will allow you to maybe uh, avoid being the skip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It doesn't matter what position you play; you still have to throw the rock. Yeah, and yeah. The, the left knee takes all the weight of the yep. body sliding on the ice. Yeah, right. for sure. And I, the only time my knee bothers me is when I curl, and no. um, yeah, so I, it's obviously what is aggravating it. For but sure. I'm not willing to give it up. I just wanted to know, and I appreciate your answer. I did want to know if it was possible to have this injury reoccur. I just thought maybe once they had cut away the, the opening of the meniscus that maybe it couldn't be done again. No, no, no. It can it can always be done again. You can re I mean that's like saying if if you fracture a bone and it heals, can you ever fracture that bone? And, yeah, of course. Um it's not as likely, but you know, that not impossible. But I think you bring up a very interesting point just for our listeners. Um you know, you're making a conscious choice here, and this is a lot of the things that I talk to people about. You, you've kind of deducted yourself, the, Bev, the way you've said, like, hey, I pretty much, my knee only hurts when I curl, but I'm not willing to give up curling. So, um, you know, that's a conscious decision on your part, and I think that's important, and I think a lot of people need to realize that as well, because some people you know, we'll come in and, and I'll try to have the conversation with them. And, and, and it's not, you know, if you came to see me in all likelihood, if we, if we deduced it was that I would probably say, well, Bev, maybe you should give up curling, but if your choice is, well, no, I'm not going to, that's fine. That's your choice. You're allowed to make whatever choice you want, but then you can't expect that the, you know, necessarily the injury will go away with some type of magical treatment or whatever. So, uh, but I think it's very important that people understand that sometimes the things that they do are not the best. How, how old are you, Bev? I'm 55. 55. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, I think you should do whatever makes you happy. And, but if you've determined there might be a way to functionally modify it, I don't know enough about curling. So, uh, I'm not sure if there's a way to do something to modify the activity a little bit. Um, the meniscus in the knee, is this something that can be strengthened through exercise? Like not, knee... not really the meniscus. No, the meniscus is a piece of cartilage, and, and so it's not really something that has to do with strength. If it's, I mean, number one, I think you should make sure, is, it, is that the pain-generating structure? Is that what's causing your pain right now? It might also be something else. Okay. Okay. I really appreciate your time and your answer. Thanks no very problem. Much. Bev, we appreciate your call, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U, if you want to follow up afterwards uh, with Dr. Lou, info at paincarecanada.com. And as, uh, as far as you're concerned, you can uh, give us a call right till 1 o'clock, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It is the Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
11.31, Dr. Payne Show, right till 1 o'clock. Extra hour for you, and uh, get your questions answered. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You know, Bev is smart because she came right out and said, look, I know it's causing my problem. I've had it treated, but I'm not willing to give it up, Absolutely. The, the activity. So yeah. she's aware. A lot of people yeah, will come to you and I, say, hey, dude, you're treating me. It's not getting better. Well, are you still yeah, doing my, what we my told team, you not to? My team sees that a lot where, you know, they'll they'll make a recommendation. You know, it can be something as simple as their posture in their car, the way they're sitting. Right. And, and you can say to this person, okay, you have back pain. We're going to treat it. That's fine. But I also need you to change your posture in these scenarios. Um, and then people won't do those things. And then they'll come in and say, yeah, the, the treatment's not helping. It's like, well, the treatment would help if you would also do the right things after. And that's modified behavior. And this is where we've talked about um, that you can get treatment every single day for even an hour, even two hours. That's still going to leave you with 22, 23 hours in a day yeah. where if you're potentially doing the wrong things, you're going to offset whatever is being done in that hour. Like a lot of these things have are, are this is the problem with a lot of chronic pain is that people are expecting that someone else can solve their problem, not realizing that it's you that needs to solve the problem because it's you and your body always forever, right? And you need to do the right things. You need to think about it the right way. You need to do the right functional things. You need to take the right precautions. You need to use the right doses of medication. You have to do your exercise. So multifactorial, but it's all on you is the simple answer here. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Lori, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm good, thank you. I just wanted to um, ask a question. This is for my son. He's 32 years old. Okay. He had a uh, construction injury to his knee 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he's had three arthroscopic type surgeries. Yep. Um, nothing's really seemed to work a whole lot. He it constantly is swollen and um, uh, limitation on movement. He's still working full time. Um, he's, we recently just went to his surgeon. And, uh, so there's basically two options. Number one, he needs a knee replacement for sure. Um, they're saying he's too young. Mm -hmm. Um, but he has a lot of arthritis in that knee, very unusual for his age, but a lot of arthritis as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so option one is basically an osteotomy Mm -hmm. where they break the tibia and all kinds of things and recovery is very long, Mm -hmm. um, or knee replacement. But we got the feeling the doctor was kind of leaning away from a knee replacement because he is only 32 years old. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess I just kind of wanted to know what your uh, views are on, on that. I mean, we're kind of thinking, why not just do the knee replacement? In 15 years, he's going to need one anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what yeah. kind of... Well, I, I can definitely say at 32, that is young. Um, but it's obviously whatever arthritis there is, is I, I'm going to assume the result of the injury, right? Because that, yeah. that's the thing where when, when I've talked about before, um, arthritis, quote unquote, degenerative changes don't always necessarily correlate with someone's symptoms, but sometimes they do very well. And you can look, a lot of people come in with knee pain and their family doctor took an x-ray of that one knee that's been hurting them, that right knee, and they say, yeah, look, you've got some arthritis there and that's why you have knee pain. And then you take an x-ray of the other knee and it's like, well, that knee has the exact same amount of arthritis, but no No pain. pain. So how does that happen? But in your son's case, it sounds like whatever extent of the injury has just anytime you have an injury in an area of the body, that area is going to wear out more quickly than any other area that's been injury free. So that area on your son is obviously worn out. Now, the one thing that I can tell you, not necessarily related to age, when I've seen severely arthritic degenerative knees, Really, the only thing that works well that I've seen personally in my practice, and I work closely with actually a few knee surgeons, is just a complete replacement of it. I understand why the knee surgeons want to 
hold off right now because he's still young. And, you know, these these parts that they put in have a half-life, and so they'll probably last 10 years or so. And that will essentially mean for, for you know, the next 10 years for the rest of your son's life, every decade he'll be getting a knee replacement. And at what point do you create too much trauma? Usually when they're doing knee replacements, they're doing it in the elderly, and maybe that person is getting two, maybe yeah. max three in their life. At your son's age, if you started right now, he's going to need another one around 40, 50, 60, 70. Wow. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. That's potentially now you're dealing with four, maybe five knee replacements. I'm not really sure what the research says about how many, you know, like after one or two, that's one thing, but three, four, does it still necessarily have the same effect? Um, I, I And again, all of this is me generally speaking. I think best option is if you actually want to get in contact with me, we can have your son see the the knee surgeons that I work with just to get a second opinion yeah, um, and, and just see what kind of what they say, what they think, if they think, yeah, yeah you know, I, that's a big thing, a consensus, right? If, if multiple people are telling you, multiple surgeons are saying, yeah, stay away from the knee replacement, there's probably a good reason and we can figure out that reason versus if you get one saying no, but the other saying, yeah, I would do it. Then now all of a sudden you're back to 50, 50 and it just becomes uh, uh, your personal choice. And at the end of the day, consent is on the part of the patient always, but I would assume that the hesitation is mainly on the fact that he's so young that he'll likely need so many. If he starts now, every, and, keep going. And, and 10 years is a long time. Sometimes it's less, right? Sometimes people are seven or eight years. So now once you start doing that math every seven years, now you're talking by the time you're 60, that's how many new replacements yeah. that would need to happen. So um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd yeah. be interested in reviewing your son's imaging just to kind of see the extent of the damage also assessing the knee to make sure that you know again is is it correlating is the pain that your son is feeling related to the arthritic changes it could also at this point just be chronic pain in that area because of the injury and so will re the next question becomes will replacing the knee actually solve the issue that's not always a clear-cut answer Okay, yeah, then that would be great. Then yeah. we can uh, give you a call sure. uh, sometime next week or whatever. Okay. That would be perfect. And so is there any, like, I mean, you're kind of in an awkward situation because when you go to a surgeon, you're like, well, I'm going to go get another opinion. Like, because it is a very big decision too, mm -hmm. right? And I just feel like, uh, is it a bad thing to get a second opinion or uh, you know what I mean? So I can only answer that obviously on my part. If a patient saw me and said, hey, Dr. Lou, thank you for your opinion, but I think I want a second opinion, I'd say no problem. I think that's, if, if that's what you feel like, that's what you should do. I, I think there are, I know what you mean, there are healthcare practitioners out there that if you say, I want a second opinion, they take that as a slap in the face. I, I think that just speaks to the character of the person. Right. And and it's like, well, that's too bad. I don't really care. You know, my, my point is if it was my son and, and I was worried like, oh, the surgeon might take that the wrong way. I don't care. I, what I care about is I want to make sure that I have a consensus here and that um, you know, I'm doing the right thing. And, and maybe you can just be very, very polite about it, but I don't, I, I personally don't care if my patients want to get a second opinion. I actually oftentimes will bring in a colleague of mine. Right. And I've said this on the show multiple times where I'll say, let me get a second opinion on this. Just fresh pair of eyes. Yeah, right. I, I don't mind that. And I don't think yeah. anyone ever should. And I think that healthcare practitioners out there that have this God complex where their opinion is the be all end all. 
I think it's a flawed way of thinking. That's my personal opinion, but I okay. can't comment on, you don't know, maybe that surgeon's going to say, yeah, absolutely. I don't care. Have this again like, opinion. It, yeah. it, I think that just depends on character of person. That's not, there's no rule that we learn in like med school that says, oh right. yeah, if your patient gets a second opinion, make sure you get mad at that. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, kids, if you open up your books to page. I, I, I once, I remember I asked a colleague of mine where I said, I, I had him actually check out my knee and, and as a joke, after he looked at it, I said, I, I think I'm going to go get a second opinion. And he said, well, if you want a second opinion, just ask me twice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was fun. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much. And yeah, we'll definitely uh, give you a call uh, next week or whatever. Sure. Just yeah. to get another opinion. No Thank problem. You very much. No problem. Thank you, Lori. Have a, uh, have a wonderful holiday. It is one eight five 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 doctor Lou. by the way, D-R-L-O-U, 1-855-55-DR-LOU, or info at paincarecanada.com. More of your phone calls coming up, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Lots of open lines to call in right till 1 o'clock today, the extended Dr. Payne Show, right here, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You have plenty of time to call in uh, this edition of the Dr. Payne Show. We're here till 1 o'clock, 416-870-6400, yeah, star 640 on sale. Want to get that free consultation happening? It is uh, info at paincarecanada.com or to reach you directly, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, and press number two, right? To leave a message? To leave a message, there yeah. You if you know that you need an assessment, because a lot of people right. have listened for a long time, and they, you know, if you're calling about a pain in the knee or the hip, that is absolutely something you need an assessment on. I can't. A lot of people will call me as well, hoping that I'm going to give them answers um, over the phone, ex- diagnose them with something. That right. can't happen. Like, you know, let's... You can't. Yeah, it's just impossible. It doesn't matter how we slice or dice that. Um but some people have a weird like abdominal pain or they're already seeing someone and are wondering, you know, like this person that just called, like, should I see, should I get a second opinion? Yeah, why not? Sometimes people will tell me they've already had three three opinions and they're all consistent and say, I want your opinion. And I'll say, well, it sounds like I'll probably end up giving you the same opinion. So yeah. don't waste your time, right? So, uh, but if you know that you need an assessment because you've been listening to the show and, and you just know it's there, just press one and that will take you to the clinic to book the assessment. Hey, Jamie, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to say, now I'm 40 years of age, and back in the year 2004, when I was 27, back in August, I was diagnosed with a thing called patellofemoral syndrome in my knee. Okay. And I've been suffering from this for uh, almost 14 years right or 13 14 years and I've tried so many things but it just seems to be coming back like maybe once a year like maybe I'll be bending at my work and then you know like in in the morning I'll start to feel this uh, pain that just seeps, keeps on coming and then maybe a couple of weeks it, it will go away and then maybe in eight to ten months will come back and my question is can patellofemoral syndrome um, can it be cured completely or would I need to do um, surgery of my of my lower knee yeah so patellofemoral pain syndrome is essentially yeah. a tracking issue with the patella and it's off it's often just simply related to a functional issue where okay. maybe the muscles on one tight uh, one side of the leg are tighter and the other side of the leg have weak muscles have you been given exercises to do i have tried exercises i've done um bike riding but not going bike riding now but no I've, but yeah. any other formal rehab exercises besides bike um, riding 
I've done like stretchings, certain exercises I can do at home. Mm-hmm. Now, I should keep in mind that I am obese. And being obese doesn't really help um, any problems with your knees completely. Yeah, yeah. it actually makes them worse. I know. But and, and makes yeah. it likely that you will continue to re-experience it for uh, sure. So having said that, would you think, um, I, mean, I mean, surgery could be my best option? Well, patellofemoral pain syndrome is yeah. not a surgical intervention. There's not, okay. You're not going to find a surgeon that's going to intervene. It's, it, again, it's a tracking issue with the patella right. that's often, in, in my experience, often related to a weakness of a specific muscle. And if you strengthen that muscle, then you can help... Um, you know, make it better. Now that this is compounded with the fact that right. when I've seen a lot of people that are obese and have knee pain and they say, I have knee pain and I, and I look at it and I say, well, you've got to lose weight. And if, and in the absence of losing weight, and this is not me trying to be harsh, it's just me giving the appropriate information. If you don't ever get it to a manageable point, then you're always going to have that weight on that knee. Then yes, you can likely expect that every few months, a uh, few weeks, whatever it may be, you will continue to re-experience that pain. And and so doing, there, no one is going to do surgery for patella femoral pain if that's what it truly is. Mm-hmm. Um, and but even if we took it as and we said, hey, you've got a meniscus issue. Um, can you have surgery for that? Yes, potentially. But that doesn't mean, similar to our other color, caller, that if you don't solve the underlying issue, um, you may never actually get rid of it forever. And I've often talked about that in pain management. There's really no cures. Once you have something, you're likely to re-experience it anyways. And so really what it becomes is a management issue. Okay. Now, in terms of, say I were to lose about um, 60 pounds, and do you think, um, like, even losing that kind of weight, I should notice a big difference once I reach my goal? Or in in my yeah. experience, I think I, I think I can say you know I can't say anything for sure, obviously, because I don't know your full history. In my right. experience, people who get healthy that are unhealthy um, and have a weight issue and and get that weight issue under control okay. end up feeling tremendously mm-hmm. better in so many aspects of their life uh whether it's their knee pain uh psychosocial issues whatever it may be it just is a very very good thing and i think anytime i see somebody that is severely overweight doesn't matter what the issue is i will part of my recommendation always is you need to get healthy and healthy doesn't mean that it has to be aesthetically appeasing like i'm not telling people get six packs i know tons of people who are bodybuilders and are more unhealthy than people who are obese um so that health is totally different than the way someone looks but there is an ideal body weight for a certain size that diminishes uh extra pressure on joints for sure Okay, now I do want it to come in maybe after the holidays and I could see one of your staff so that we can have an assessment and perhaps maybe I can get a second opinion on my right knee. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, you you and your family have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. You as well. And thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate Hi, Jamie. that. You as well. Again, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U to... Uh, to make that call, info at paincarecanada.com. we got time to squeeze in Andrew. Yeah, sure. Jody doesn't care. He's eating Jody his muffin over care. there. He's I can hear a crinkling it's the paper. Christmas. Is it he good? Is it care. the banana muffin this morning? Perfect. It's the same every week. This guy's Captain Consistency. <laughs> Andrew, what's up, pal? Uh, I'm doing great down at the beach. Nice. Really? Good. Swimming? <laughs> uh, sort of. Uh, maybe snow angels. Yeah, the oh, yeah. polar bear dip. Gotcha. What's going on? 
Uh, so I've just been listening. I actually listen a lot to the this program. Great, uh, thank you. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of good, a lot of information, and a lot of help that you're providing uh, all the listeners, and that's fantastic. Today's uh, theme seems to have been uh, more along the lines of uh, helping people out um, as far as uh, joint pain and and um, and issues with movement. And I've called it in the past, and being down at the beach. You know, I'm not exactly standing in sand, but sand exercise. I've said this before. Yeah. Low impact, yeah. low intensity. And uh, research is now growing as to the as to the benefits of it, even though it's not necessarily a high impact for people in, in boot camps. But for all those people that really want to move better, even just walking in sand for a couple of minutes, five, ten minutes, will actually do a lot. Um, and I say that also because of the, the grounding or earthing um, component to that. I, I'm sure that the doctor knows something of that. Um, so that's my, uh, that, that's my two cents worth. I think that uh, you do great work. Thank so, you. yeah, uh, and, I, and I, I would love to talk to you further about this uh, to share my information with you. Sure. Um, because I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think absolutely sharing information is, is uh, is better than having it in you because if you know something and nobody yeah. else knows it, then great. What's it worth? Yeah, no, for sure. I appreciate the call. I, I I I can't say that I'm an expert on sand exercising for sure, but I do think I think any way that people decide to get active is very very important. I think I think the biggest thing with activity um, is people need to find something that they enjoy, and so sometimes people start running and they really, really enjoy it, and then other people try running and they absolutely hate it, but they can they love to play soccer, so that's what they do and so um, I think whatever it is it's something that i don't I don't think I can really i mean I could see the benefit of any type of exercise I don't know specifically the research on sand exercise, but you know to me I, I know the research on exercise, and it doesn't really matter how someone gets active to me now mm -hmm. with certain injuries, obviously, um, you know, people that have, um, you know, severe degenerative knees, I don't recommend that they walk. I recommend that they probably cycle or swim right. or something like that. Uh, but I can see the idea of the low impact with the sand, but getting active is important. It doesn't matter how you do it, as long as it's safe for you for whatever your injury right. is. Um, and that you're doing it consistently. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. You have uh, questions, comments, bring them on. The Dr. Payne Show right till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 11.55 as we go over 12 o'clock right till 1 o'clock here. It's a, a two-hour show this morning, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. You know, we are talking uh, about knee replacements there a short time ago. You said something that was interesting. I mean, it... Someone who has a knee replacement when they're 70, they're going to get fewer of them because they're not going to be around as long as someone who's had a knee replacement yeah. at 32. And you mentioned the interval changing, and that makes so much sense because, again, somebody who's 70 or 75 getting a knee replacement, unless they're still a marathon runner at that point, they're probably not as active as someone who's 32. Correct. So yeah. they're going to they're gonna wear that knee out quicker. Yeah, and, right? and that's why it's so hard. It's kind of like when you talk about tires for a car, right? right. Like Or brakes, how long should they last? Like, I think you know if we ask Greg... He would probably tell you, like, you know, maybe a relative, but right. that does someone who drives a lot breaks a certain way. And so it's the same thing. When when people get replacements, people often say, Well, how long is this gonna last? A surgeon can typically say, Well, it should go for something like seven or eight years. 
But what if you are that 60-year-old who's extremely active and you do more and more things? Um, then maybe it's not going to last as long. Right. But what if you're someone who doesn't do as much? Maybe you only ever need one. You never need to get another one. And you're right. When you look at age, someone who's 32, the half-life is likely going to be quicker on that replacement just by the very fact that they're 32 and, and likely um, are going to be doing more things than someone who's 72. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's a thing that has to be considered when making the choice. I mean, it's a big decision for anybody to sit there and say, do I want to get this joint replaced? Like, that that's not yeah. something that should ever be taken lightly. And like any type of intervention that you do to your body, it should always be risk versus benefit. Um, and those are the things to, to that the healthcare professional should help you understand. What are my risks if I don't do or don't do this? And what are my benefits if I do or don't do this? Um, and then you just do the pros and cons. And it, it comes down at the end of the day, every single thing that happens is your choice. You are the the patient. You're the person. You have the consent. You can consent to something being done or not being done. You just need to be understand that what you're going to accept in those scenarios. Um, and sometimes people choose surgery when they shouldn't have chosen surgery. And other times people opt out of it when potentially it was the best option for them but i think it just comes down to whatever it is you want some people no matter what never want to go under under the knife into an operating yeah. room um and that's fine that's that's your choice but then uh, you just need to understand that you may never get the relief that you're actually looking for if you have something that's absolutely surgical similar to some people that we see um and we recommend hey you need to go get some medication for this say like, I, I don't want to take medication fine that's your choice, but you may not get the relief that you likely think you're right. going to get in the absence of that. And again, in my view is there's a time and place for everything in healthcare. And I think, you know, when people exist only on one end of this spectrum where you got the people who are all, all natural all the time, or you have the people who are all medical all the time, all that, you know, Western type of approach, only medicine, only surgeries. I think either end of the spectrum is is very, very dangerous. I think the middle of the spectrum is the ideal place. There's a time and place for surgeries uh, and medicines. There's a time and place for more natural approaches. Um, there's a time and place, you know, like this thing about like, you know, don't don't get vaccination. Well, I was just about to say, I know people who are dead set against it will yeah, never vaccinate. You know, and I don't really want to comment on all I'm going to say is, you know, there's number one a lot of research that says that it doesn't really do anything. Number one, let's let's toss that out there. Number two, um, in terms of it doesn't do anything harmful. Right? Can it potentially cause in one or two cases some some things that you didn't want to cause? Yeah, I think anything is possible for sure. Uh, but what is the alternative if vaccinations were never created? Right? Like when you consider that you know polio and all these things used to wipe out how many tens of thousands, millions of people. We don't have that issue anymore. And the reason we don't is because we have this. Are there potentially some vaccinations that are like, really, you're getting vaccinated for that? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, potentially. Uh, but I think like even when you, my, my personal view, say, for example, for the flu, flu shot, shot, okay, if you're at a high-risk population, you work in a community, you're in an elderly uh, residence, you're, you're, sickly young, already. you're sick, there are certain times where, yeah, you know what, go get that. Because if you get the flu, it's potentially life-threatening for you. But if you're you or I, and, and you know, we're overall healthy um, young people who have good prognosis and we get the flu, we're probably going to survive. It's just our choice. Do we want to go right. through that week or two weeks of hell? But, you know, is getting the flu shot going to 
do anything? Ah, maybe not, but I think that's an informed choice, and that's what I mean. You you shouldn't exist only on one end of the spectrum or the other. Use it all and, and make the right decision. Short break for the news. In hour two, we'll talk about sports and exercise. How much is too much? How much is too little? James, I see you there on the line. Hang on the line. We'll get to you as soon as we come back. For everyone else, of course, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Dr. Payne Show continues. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 12.04, hour two. Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. You need a consultation, want to talk to uh, Dr. Lou, 1-855-55-DR-LOU, D-R-L-O-U, email info at paincarecanada.com. James, good Hi. afternoon. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, Canada. You too, sir. How are you, pal? Good, good, good. I just had a, just a general concern just to say that uh, when a person is not feeling well, just basically, like besides all the medications and therapies and all that, it's just good to have someone speak when they're not feeling well instead of letting the cold kind of take over their system kind of thing. You mean talk to a professional? Talk to a doctor? Well, just for a, a person that's not feeling well, just to talk. You know, oh, yeah. Get some reassurance happening. Oh, ab- absolutely. 100%. That's one of the biggest things where people feel better. Um, I, I saw this early. This is all I, I, like things that I noticed. There's no right, research right. on this. But I remember um, sometimes when patients used to come see me when I first started practicing, um, I, I, I try to have, I build a relationship with everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I try to be friendly with everybody. Yeah. Sometimes people will come and... And, you know, I would think, I don't think that I'm really helping this person with the therapy that I'm doing, but they keep saying they feel better. Right. Um, and I swear a lot of people just wanted to come talk to me. And, and and you're right. When people don't feel better, you know, when you talk to a professional, they're going to impart knowledge. Um, and that knowledge can help you make very important decisions, which right. can make you feel better. Right. I actually was just speaking to a cousin of mine in Italy um, because she was actually hurt in a car accident. Yep. Well, she was she was walking. She was a pedestrian hit by a car, and she ended up having a fracture of her tibial plateau, which is a part of her knee. Um, and she, we were talking, and I, I she kind of wanted my advice on what to do, et cetera. And and I was talking to her, and I remember at the end saying, you know, like I'm I'm really sorry that I'm here in Canada. I obviously I'm limited in what I can do. And we had just finished speaking for about. 15, 20 minutes, but she said, no, I, I feel better just talking to you, like just in understanding these things. Cause I, I, I feel like I didn't get that knowledge when I was in the hospital. They just essentially gave me an operation and sent me home and I, and they didn't really say much, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Just letting somebody was, talk is a big deal. Yeah. That's what I, I, I even encourage people if they're not feeling well to, to call mm-hmm. just to talk and always to remember if they're not feeling well, like if they have a cold, you know, a flu or something like that. You know, just to call someone and talk to them until you know, instead of letting the cold, you know, take take you know, like, get into your head. Yeah, like, like you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Distraction. Yeah. Distraction has a lot of really. What this is is it's distraction in a way too. When you when you focus on something different, this is a big thing in chronic pain that we teach people is to distract themselves. Like if you're sitting there and you're like, my knee hurts, my knee hurts, my knee hurts, my knee hurts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Guess what doesn't hurt anymore? John over and he's just punching everybody in Toronto. (laughs) Your knee's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that distraction component, right? One of the things is like, what are your hobbies? What are things that you can do? Because if you're focusing on my knee, my knee, my knee, well, guess what? Your knee's going to hurt. Like that's, Just the reality of it. I bet you if you if you looked at the Lotto Max ticket and noticed you won, all of a sudden your knee wouldn't be hurting much yeah. that, that minute after. And that's simply because of distraction to something yeah. that is far more important. 
Sometimes it's it's as simple as you know going to your doctor and saying, "Relax, buddy, you're not going to die," and you feel better. Hundred right? percent. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people are just freaking out, and as soon as you can reassure them that whatever they're afraid of, mm-hmm. sometimes I like to ask my patients when they come in, and that you could tell that there's an anxiety component. I'll say, "Okay, tell me what it is you're afraid of. What is it that? Because they've done their own research, right? They're they're thinking I have whatever disease, and it's like, tell me what it is that you think you have. Um, that way, at the at the very least, I can rule in or rule that mm-hmm. out. Just based Based on sometimes people are thinking of things that it's like, no, absolutely. Like, I don't even need to do any more than yeah. talk to you to know that it's not that because, you know, the, there's a They're pulling a Costanza. Is it lupus? Is yeah. it lupus? Well, it's got to be lupus. The thing about lupus, lupus is known as the great mimicker. So right. it can technically present anyway. So it could be lupus. <laughs> right. Lupus is a bad example, but there's some, <laughs> some other things that it could definitely, uh, you can exclude right away just based on signs and symptoms, just because a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And sometimes yes. people, ha- you know, when you're doing, uh, uh, when you're visiting Dr. Google, you're only really getting a fraction of information, and then you're coming to a diagnosis that sometimes is it's it's interesting what people will come up with. That that's a, that's the thing in your practice, especially now in 2017. You must fight Dr. Google all the time. Google Med School must be killer for you to backtrack. You know, I've been lucky in that I guess a lot of people that listen to the show know my outlook, and when they come see me, no one ever comes in really saying this is what I have. Mm-hmm. Um, they often come in saying, "Here's you know what I think. Here's what I've been told." Here's some of the research that I've done. I I find that if you're honest with people, and I think people know my outlook on this, that people are open to having your opinion. And and I I make the person part of my decision making as well. Um, And I walk them through everything so that they understand it. Like anytime I'm giving someone a diagnosis, I'm walking them through their signs and symptoms, the tests that we've done that are positive so that they can start to piece it together too and say, okay, yeah, I get this, right? And, and And that's the point. But yeah, definitely... Uh, people do come in and, and think they know uh, everything. Not necessarily with me, but I hear it a lot from oh, my... Oh, they're scared because of what they read. That's most oh, often what happens. Well, yeah, for sure. You, you never get positivity. T- type in anything on Google and you're yeah. about to see the worst. You are not <laughs> going to see the most common. You are going to see the worst of what the, potentially that... E- just type in what flu symptoms are, right? And yeah. then you're going to read, oh, it could be lymphoma, leukemia, yeah. this, that. Black plague wiped yeah. out all of Europe. Okay, settle down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I think I think it's great though that we do have this exposure mm-hmm. where people are coming in much, much more knowledgeable and realizing some scary symptoms earlier on. That's that's the good right. thing about Dr. Google is I think before Dr. Google, people had some very scary symptoms that they were just ignoring. And now it's like they try to muscle through. Yeah, right? they try to muscle through it, but now they see that scary <laughs> You all right there, Jody? <laughs> They see that scary symptom and they think, okay, let me go get this checked out r- yeah. right away. So what was that? I have no idea. <laughs> scary, whatever it was. Okay. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Plenty of time and plenty of phone lines for you to fill up and have your questions answered here uh, right to 1 o'clock on the Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Can you believe it? There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> what? Oh, my God, What? Is it meningitis? Scoliosis? Lupus? Is it lupus? <laughs> One of the all-time greats. Yeah, awesome. It's just a beauty. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Hey, Fred. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, pal. What's uh, what's going on with you? Um, I've had two knee scopes. I've had one in 1999 and one probably about six or about six to ten years ago. I've had two knee scopes, and I have no cartilage in my right knee. Okay, so that's my severe arthritis. On... Yep. Sorry. So that's severe arthritis if you have no more cartilage. Well, they had to take they had to take all the cartilage out. Right. 
because I my knee locked up in 99 and then uh, I was in more pain later on and I guess they just felt it was necessary to take it all out. Mm-hmm. But okay. then they also said too that I would be able, I'd be eligible for a cartilage transplant. Is that worth it or? I think it's probably just easier to do a knee replacement in all honesty. Oh yeah? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I, I would imagine that it's easier to at that point to just replace a knee than it is to yeah. to do a cartilage transplant because now in transplant surgeries you know will will your body reject it the risk of infection you know there's a lot of different things that once you're taking someone else's um uh things but yeah I, i'm not sure I, I i can't comment for sure i don't know enough about that but um so so what's the the question with regards to your knees um is it regularly I suppose, like, obviously the cartilage protects the knee from bone on bone, but right now, like, if I play sports regularly, mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'll get knee pains, like when I walk around. Right. But when I play sports, it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for that? Well, it may not, you, it, the pain you're feeling may not be related to the joint, right? It could be muscular pain. Um, and so sometimes the way you're walking or doing things, Uh, can aggravate it. But then, you know, a lot of people, once you get into sporting, you start moving around a lot, your body really, really warms up. Um, And and oftentimes people don't really feel pain going on. You're also focused on the sport Mm -hmm. that you're playing. Like there's a distraction component. I would say number one with you, you got to, someone's got to look at you and determine, okay, what is causing your knee pain? Because it may not be the same issue related to the cartilage. There's a lot of things that can cause pain in the knee. Um, and then if you can determine, okay, yes, it is related to that. You know, I'd be interested of an x-ray of your knee at this point. Is, is there severe degenerative change going on? Um, or is your knee overall look healthy still? And, and if so, then there's maybe, maybe another, uh, root cause to your knee pain. Okay. Okay. Give me a call. We can set up an assessment and, uh, um, and go from there. It's not, not going to be very hard. It'll be a quick x-ray and we'll, we'll know a lot just from that. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U Fred would be that number. Info at paincarecanada.com. Joanne, thanks for hanging in. How are you? Um, oh, not bad. How are you? Good. Merry Christmas, and go ahead. Okay. Uh, in two thousand and sixteen, I did a slip down the stairs. I fractured my right tibia and fibia. Mm-hmm. I was at the care center for a while, and then when I got home. Um, I've started walking around with a walker and with a cane, and sometimes I get a little sharp pain under my kneecap. Mm-hmm. But when I do walk, a lot of neighbors are saying, oh, your right knee is bending in. Okay. So um, that's my problem. I, I, I try to walk with a walker. I'm walking in the house without a cane, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's about it. So I was wondering why the knee is bent going in the, on the right leg. The- yeah, I'd have to see it. A lot of times what happens with fractures is when you when a fracture heals, it doesn't always necessarily heal perfectly straight the way it originally was. Uh-huh. It heals with a callus. Um, and sometimes there can be a, devia- a slight deviation of the bone, which is very common. So it probably just did not heal straight because most fractures won't heal straight. And that's why it probably looks like there's a bit of a bend. Yeah, and, well, and that's I, generally speaking. I, I'd have to look at the x-ray, obviously, of your tibia and fibia to see if that's the case. But um, that, that would be my best guess based on uh, the information I have right now. Because yeah, when the cast was on, it wasn't like a straight cast. It, the, the bend in the cast was in my right knee on the inside. 
and that's how it came out. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter, though, the way the cast is. It's just naturally the body will very rarely will bones heal perfectly straight again because when they're fractured, they move around a little bit and, you know, depending on so many other things, unless they actually surgically put it in place and let it heal if they want it to heal perfectly straight. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, but usually right. when it just heals on its own. Always some deviation, right? Some deviation, yeah. yeah. It's not, you just hope to minimize it. That's why they make the choice of does this need surgery or not. Like, you know, if there's if it's a compounded fracture that has more than just one break and there's a lot of things, there's a lot. They usually will plate that just to, so that it can. But even even when they surgically uh, put it in place, it can still um, heal with some deviation. And that's where oh. the screws and the bolts and all that stuff yeah. come to play, right? All the hardware. Oh, do you think anything like that? <laughs> I don't hope not. Sorry? Do For you? Yeah. Oh well, you you don't need that. You're, it's healed at this point. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so they would have to fracture it again to to do that, and I don't think you want that. No, not exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to avoid that, but no, that's that's pretty common after, unfortunately, after a fracture is that it doesn't always necessarily heal perfectly because um, it has to, you know, tissue needs to get laid down and things move certain ways. So. Does it generally go a little fatter around where the break was to strengthen it? Yeah, is there'll it? be a callus formation yeah. is what the, the term for it is. And yeah, it'll be a chunkier area, um, right. which makes that one area much stronger. But now above and below that area right. potentially has the risk for, yeah. for fracture again. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's try not to fracture things. <laughs> try not to. <laughs> yeah. Just be careful. Yeah. Well, uh, more of your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Anytime you need to book a consultation, info at paincarecanada.com or one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. We'll return with more of your calls and more of the show here at Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. we got lots of uh, open lines. Still got some time till 1 o'clock this afternoon. You're having uh, pain issues, health issues, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It's only at 1221, so you got lots. Now, moving on into the uh, the new year, we will be permanently moving the show till 11 a.m., yep. which is more convenient, I think, for uh, for everybody. So we're looking yep, forward so to that. Yeah, so it's an hour earlier for those regular yep. listeners. Don't tune in at, uh, at noon. It will now be at 11 um, right after whatever show. Usually it's the Greg Carrasco show up. Yep. Up until eleven, and so we'll be on right after that at eleven till twelve, um, with sometimes I think going to two hours, but I don't think early on. But yeah, so eleven o'clock for all of that, and also as always, um, free consultations. Give yep. me a call. Um, the assessments, if if you know that this is you have an issue or that needs an assessment, just simply call one eight five 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 D R L O U. Hit option one. That will take you to the main clinic where I do the assessments. Um, Remember, with the assessment, I know if you need consistent care, things like that, I've got a provider network no matter where you are. But for the initial assessment, you're going to have to come down. And, and most people don't mind. I've, I have people from Barrie, from mm-hmm. uh, even as far as Peterborough coming in. You make it the you know that one time, and uh, we go through everything. And then even if I have to correspond with you for results, I'll just do that via phone. That At that point, I won't, make, I won't give people the hassle. I just need to see you that first time, um, you know, because... I can't it's a good it. one though. It's in depth. It's lengthy. Yeah, and it's, I can't. And I need to see the person. Yes. I need to. I've even, you know, toyed with the idea of of Skype, and that's good for the history component. Yeah. But what about when I need to move someone around? I need to do things. I, I, yeah. I, that's where I get so much of the information is from the physical exam. Um, so you know, I need you to come in uh, just that one time. Uh, we can do everything. Everything else after that point. Tests can be ordered remotely, um, Mm. and then it's just a matter of results. I can give you a call and and communicate that way, email, whatever you prefer. Uh, 
Sports, exercise, how much is too much, how much is too little? It's a fine line, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, when you look at stress, when we define stress, stress being whether we want to talk about psych, psychological stress mm-hmm. or physical stress, because that's really what exercise is. It's a controlled form of physical stress. The stress curve that exists, and if for people it's going to be very hard for me to explain this, obviously, over the radio, but just go on to Google and type in the stress curve. It's a bell curve. You're going to see that too little stress is not good, and too much stress is equally not as good, but somewhere in the middle... There's a, a perfect point. And so when they've done research on on activity, moderate physical activity is that middle area of that stress bell curve. Um, and that's where there's the most um, advantageous results for overall health is just that moderate physical activity. Even people that are running marathons and are overly active, they are actually on the other end of the spectrum where they start to be towards this might be too much. Right. It might be just as bad as not enough. Um, so I think the key is everything is in moderation. I think the more and more research we do, we're, we're quickly finding that none, nothing out there is really overly bad for you um, as long as you're doing it in moderation. Now, obviously, some things doesn't matter. The amounts are bad, but I'm speaking generally here that, you know, we, we've been able to find that a moderate intake of, you know, red wine is, is not bad for you. Um, mo- <laughs> yeah. Yummy. Um, and so... You know, I think staying in moderation is very key. Even people that are, you know, they they don't want to eat this, they don't want to eat that. I think all of it, if you do it in moderation, mm-hmm. uh, I think we'll quickly find out with research. And we also have to look at a lot of the political things behind when certain things are, you know, really bad. You know, I remember once upon a time, it was like dairy was the worst thing for mm-hmm. you, and now it's not the worst thing for you. And then it was the refined carbs are bad, and so whole grain is good. And really, those are just things that are potentially just political schemes by the companies, right? Like if you're if you're a bread company um, and you're saying refined sugar is bad, well, then, oh, I guess whole wheat is good. And a lot of the times the research that's done finds that a lot of these things, there's not much of a difference. And it depends. It's person to person. Person to person. I don't yeah. have a gluten problem. Yeah, exactly. I don't have celiac. So I'll pour gluten on my food. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> I'll gluten. And, and that's know. another thing. A lot of people are eliminating. You know, if you're doing something and it's making you feel well, then I don't think that's an issue as well. Right. Uh, but I just, you know, be informed. A lot of the stuff that you just hear, it's important to do your own research on mm-hmm. this stuff. Good research. It's not enough to go to Google and type in this versus that because. Another thing about research or the things that you're reading is who's funding the things that you're reading, right? Like, and, and that makes it very, very important where, where that information is coming Yeah, look for your pop-ups. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Got to uh, Jim here. Hey, Jim, good morning, or afternoon for that matter. Good afternoon. How are you today? Good, pal. What's going on with you? I just wanted to ask the doctor if he could give me a very, you know, brief as you can, I guess, definition as to what Parsonage-Turner syndrome is. I've been having an issue with my arm, and this phrase keeps coming up through some of the specialists, and I'm a little bit, well, nervous to be going on Google and going, mm-hmm. what is it? Thinking, well, my God, I got it all. Um, yeah, I'm actually looking it up myself because I'm not overly familiar with it. Um, if you give me a quick second, acute brachial neuropathy. Okay, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's some type of uh, neuropathy, which means there's pain in the nerve being caused, um, what happened? It says here that it's most often related postoperatively or after infection or trauma. Did you have some type of injury? Well, basically what happened is, is um, I went over a year ago to my chiropractor and he found severe bruising in an area where there was no pain. He refused to touch it. Right. 
I went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, they did a bunch of blood work. Mm -hmm. Since then, and over a period of the year, they've done a bunch of MRIs. I just recently got the opportunity to go down and see a specialist in Toronto Western, and this this is the phrase he brought out, mm -hmm. and he's talking about in uh, early February doing some kind of surgery to my wrist, my elbow, my shoulder, and possibly a section of my spine, depending on my next MRI. It'll be like a day surgery. Right. So, so what are your symptoms? So, t explain to me how this all started. Um, I have extreme uh, lack of control of my hand. Okay. Uh, pain, pain and cramping down from the shoulder area right through to the hand. Right. And basically, I've lost control of my right my my right arm. Okay. And it's, it's, they believe it to have been a a bacterial or infection because it was not post uh, surgery. And then you're saying when you were at your chiropractor's office that he or she noticed uh, bruising in that area. Yeah, well, the one that's, when it first displayed itself, the bruising was underneath the arm, uh, radiating from the elbow to the armpit, and from the armpit down towards the hip bone. It was a, a very dark bruising, but there was no pain related to it, and I didn't fall or hurt myself. Okay, and you've obviously seen a bunch of neurologists, I'm assuming, right? Yes, I'm up to number three, and yeah. the number number three one apparently is uh, is the top dog in Toronto Western. So okay, and you've done EMG studies and MRIs of different areas. EMGs, uh, blood work, uh, two different types of MRI, and I'm assuming they'll do another MRI before they continue. Right. I was just curious whether you were familiar with this and what the normal progression is. Um, I basically cannot control my fingers in any kind of order, and I'm. Hoping to now. Do, I, do you still have movement in your fingers, though, or is it just not movement that you can control? No, I have movement, um, and I have a hard time controlling it. If I'm looking at my hand, I can hold a pen. Right. Um, but if I try and play my guitar, I can't control my fingers. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not overly familiar with the syndrome. I, I think you're going down the right path in terms of uh, seeing the right people and getting those opinions. It's a neurological issue, so seeing the neurologist. Is right, you the, is the top dog to be seen. And if you're seeing the best one in Toronto, then I think you're on the right track, and hopefully they'll be able to get you an answer. Best of luck, Jim. Appreciate the call. You have time as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale at 12.30. Hour 2 the Dr. Payne Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 12.31, Dr. Payne Show. Consultation, one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com. And, uh, hey, Tyrone. Hi, how are you? Good. What's going on with you? Listen, every time I get up from a sitting position, my knees pop. Okay. And I'm 61, two years old, and they just pop. And there's no pain associated with it. I'm just wondering whether what that condition is. And it's not going to improve, I don't think. But How old did you say you were, Tyrone? 60, 60, 62. 62. Um, you know, usually noises in the absence of pain in the knees is not really that big of a deal. Sometimes it can be more of a snap where certain muscles are snapping over certain grooves of bones. Um, sometimes popping can happen. Uh, I think if there's an absence of pain and you have no issue, I don't think it's something to overly worry about. Some people just have weird noises in different joints, but as a general rule, if it's not bugging you and it's just a noise, that's usually not that big of a, a cause of concern. Great. Thank you. Have a, have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. You too. Yeah, pretty common though. For a really? lot of people, will come, will you know, come in with some type of noise or whatever. Um, 
But, you know, a lot of times the noise that people hear is just some type of snapping of a muscle over. Yeah, yeah it happens, though, uh, depending on position and posture and things like yeah. that. Um, it's kind of like a, a snap of the finger, right? And so as it snaps, you just hear this noise. But No pain if, to follow. Yeah, if there's no pain to follow and, you know, if, if he said, I've got a popping knee and it's swollen and it's really painful, then that's more of a cause of concern. But if it's just simply a pop that happens, you know, especially in an isolated thing where they can say from standing, you know, all of these things, the other thing with popping in joints, our joints are an enclosed environment. And when you move, you expand the area of it um, without actually increasing the volume. It's mm. kind of like opening up a pop can. So you're going to create air bubbles when you do that, when you when you take a closed right. environment and and somehow increase the area without changing the like volume. cracking your knuckles. Yeah, ex exactly. Like cracking your knuckles, you're going to hear a pop noise. And so that may just be what's happening in that scenario. So you often recommend, depending on the, the prognosis, or at least when someone comes in for an assessment, we're talking about exercise being too much and too little. I mean, do you have to walk that fine line with people too? I guess it depends patient to patient, right? Absolutely. Because some people are not eager to start exercising in that way because they're, nope. they're, they're afraid of more pain. Some are like, I want to get back out there. Yeah. See, and, and my thing is, I, I've had people that say, listen, no matter what you tell me, I'm not exercising. And that's fine. But you just, you, we're going to need to gauge expectations. Yes. Then. That, that's all that needs to happen in that area. That doesn't mean that there's things that can't be done. But when it comes to chronic issues, I really think that this, you know, that, that magic silver bullet is the exercise component. Um, and if in the absence of doing those things, that's fine. You just means you may need long-term therapy or you're always going to need someone to intervene from a more passive approach. Um, but some people, you're right, just don't, no matter what, they're not going to do the exercises. They don't want to do it. But usually when you have that person and you just manage their expectations, then they're willing to accept that, right? It's, it goes back to being an informed consumer. It's like, hey, I'm being told that surgery is my best option, but I don't want surgery. Mm -hmm. And that means I likely have to live with this issue forever and manage it in other ways. That's fine. I'm going to take that on. It's the same thing. Oh, I have, I'm being told I need exercise. I don't want to do exercise. Um, you know, the one thing about exercise though, is that I've had people who will say, no, I don't want it. And then they'll come back years later um, and they'll say, listen, just give me whatever exercises I need to do. Yeah. The problem with that is once you wait too long, sometimes you reach a point of no return as well. Um, so if you're being recommended proper rehabilitation early on, the best time to do anything in terms of rehab is early on because you prevent chronicity in that sense. The longer something goes on, chronic means not just that something is around for a long time, but it becomes what's called a learned behavior where your mind can help create something even in the absence of a true physical problem. Because now you've laid down the pathway. Right? You've you've laid down a neural pathway and that connection. And so even if you do things, that doesn't always necessarily, that's the problem with chronic pain. That's why chronic pain is so hard to treat is because of how much of a, of a neural pathway there is there and how do you eliminate a neural pathway, right? Like try to teach someone not to be able to ride a bike anymore. It's pretty hard. Yeah, once right, you, good call. Once you've learned a pathway, it's like, well, how do you just not do that, right? Like, how do you, how do you, yeah. you know, how do you go in the reverse? And so um, erasing neural pathways is, is a very, very difficult thing. Um, and that's why it becomes very, very difficult to treat um, chronic pain. And that's why I'm such an advocate. If you're feeling things early, although they seem small and you think they're going to go away, 
just get it checked out and get the appropriate recommendations early on because you don't want it to ever get to the point where it can become chronic. And, I, and I've seen people who were high-functioning individuals go through chronic pain and it just destroys their lives. Like it, they, it just breaks them. They end up losing their jobs. Marriages fail. Like it, it's crazy wow. what can... Yeah, you, it almost sounds like it's not real because you think, okay, we're just dealing with pain here. But it can be disastrous. It can be a big spiral down, downturn. It can take over your whole life if you're living with chronic pain. And I'm sure we have listeners who have chronic pain and it consumes their whole life. You know, it's, it's amazing that that learned bicycle metaphor, because I remember watching a video and uh, I guess related to what you're saying, once it's learned behavior, these, these guys, I guess they were engineers, they took a bike and somehow they manipulated the front fork so that when you turn the handlebars to the right, the bike would go left the other way, and right. people could not get, they could not learn yeah, how to, it yeah. took weeks and months and months. I'm talking the guys who created the bike yeah. to learn how to do this. That's right. And eventually they learned how to ride this bike after many months of daily, daily, daily yeah. trials. Yeah, then they got back on a normal bike couldn't ride it yeah for sure it would be it would be a total it was the most bizarre thing yeah for sure it's a once things once pathways are laid down it's so hard i mean and that's even a little bit different because you're changing the pathway so this is what we're talking about with pain is trying to erase it yeah in that scenario you're just trying to make someone understand that turning the wheel to the right will make you go left that's that's just adding to the neural pathway uh, but when you're talking about how do we absolutely erase something, like how do you erase that understanding that turning a wheel makes you turn a certain way? That's like, yeah. that. yeah, it gets crazy to think that that's, you know, how do you even go about starting that process? And, and really you, you can't do it. The reality is you can't erase these neural pathways. Um, and so you have to find other ways to deal with these pathways and how to distract. And ex- another big part of chronic pain, uh, is acceptance. Right. Sometimes you just need to come to the acceptance of, hey, this is what I have. This is part of my life. But I need to go on like I need to I need to accept what I have and I need to make it part of my life. And that just means that my life includes chronic pain. Um, And that's a big thing. And it's a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with. And I don't think that that's just specific to pain. I think a lot of things that people have going on in their lives, acceptance is a big part. Once you can come to acceptance of the things going on in your life, there's a certain amount of relief that comes along, I think, with acceptance uh, of whatever it is that may be happening in your life. It's funny. And if, you know, on a personal note, I know my own mom who's in her early 80s now has got an autoimmune disease, but she's got arthritic knees, so she can't take medication because of the autoimmune. And she just she goes, I live. With, I just have to suck it up. Yep. I got painful knees, and it's life goes on. Life goes life on. Life goes yeah. on. But yeah. she's tough. But, yeah. You know, she's got yeah, a that, tough. That acceptance. I forget yeah. what the book was written around this stuff, but some people can just take life experiences, and if you accept them and you use them for the positive, there's better outcomes, and some people get crippled by them. We'll get to more of your phone calls. Got open lines, uh, 20 minutes to go, 416-870-6400-STAR-640-ON-SELL. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1241, 416-870-6400-STAR-640-ON-SELL. Dr. Payne Show and uh, Lou. Big Lou, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, what's, uh, what's your concern? Uh, my feet hurt constantly. Um, not excruciating pain, just, you know, general aches, um, but what I really know, I'm trying to figure out if I need orthotics or I have gout because uh, it a, a lot of the pain is centralized into my big toe knuckle mm-hmm. on both feet. Okay. Have you had this checked out? Not yet. Okay. So that, that's the first step to trying to figure out, you know, what it is, um, is seeing a professional who would be able to assess it and determine uh, could this potentially be something like gout or is it potentially just mechanical and could orthotics potentially be 
uh, a device that could help with this. But I think step one is is just simply seeing someone who, who can do that, right? There's no way you're going to be able to figure that out on your own, right? A professional right. is going to have to do that because, you know, if it is gout, you're going to have to go for... Now, it, you know, if it seems like gout tends to characteristically be some very severe, excruciating pain, um, you know, but it's not going to be something that you can figure out on your own is, I guess, my simple answer. It's something that someone else is going to have to figure out for you. I think those are maybe good differential ideas, Um and, you know, could orthotics, if it's a mechanical issue, could orthotics potentially help? Yeah, potentially. Could they sometimes make things worse? Yeah. I think they're overprescribed, um, in all honesty. Uh, a lot of the times there's better things for managing foot issues. I don't think that they're not important. Uh, I just think that they're overprescribed in today's day and age. Um, and, yeah, I think you need some, you know, a, a professional will quickly be able to hear some signs and symptoms and look at it and determine, okay, could this potentially be gout? And if they want to rule that out, they'll send you for blood work uh, to rule out gout. And and that would be pretty easy to rule that out just based on the blood work. And then the rest of it is trying to figure out, t- talk to me a little bit about it. When does when did this all start? Uh, it's been going on for quite a while. Just, um, you know, just sore. And I'm just attributing it to age. But there's, you know, two, three days a week where I'm uh, somewhat limping a bit you know okay. for a short time and then it goes away like it comes and goes uh so i like H- have you arthritis? been able to notice when it comes and when it goes like are there certain things Not that really no. i haven't been paying attention okay that that would be step one too because that'll be um a question that anybody's going to ask you is if something comes and goes and we get this a lot where people say it comes in and goes pay attention to when does it come like pain and diary? when does it go yeah like it, it just helps the understanding uh, maybe it might be related to some type of activity that you're doing. And once you start paying attention to it, you'll think, oh, okay, there it is. That's that's the common feature that makes it come. And when I'm not doing uh, that, then it's not there. So I think that's important to pay attention to. So you said some quite some time. What is quite some time? Weeks, months, uh, years? Six months. Six months, okay. How old are you? Uh, 49. 49. And do you have any swelling in the toe? Um, nothing that, well... You know what? I, I work commerce a lot, um, and I do notice sometimes I try to keep them as loose as possible, but sometimes I just I have to take them off because they, I, I guess my feet are swelling. What about just in isolated in the big toe? Like what, what makes you think it could potentially be gout? Oh, I drink a lot of red wine. Okay. That... And I eat a lot of steak, so I am I just figured someone said, hey, you probably have gout. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, well... Yeah. I mean, those are two things that, yeah, can lead to gout, and anyone with a gout does need to um, limit the amount of red wine and uh, and red meat and nightshade foods and things like that, for sure. But that doesn't mean that everybody that drinks wine and has uh, steak and has foot pain has gout. That's it, right, it's, right. Yeah, that's. Uh, but again, you, that's easy. If you if you go get blood work and your uric acid levels are high, then that's a confirmation potentially of it. But usually, in my experience, gout tends to be very localized to the the big toe and it's usually in the middle of the night and it's excruciating really? pain where people literally will go to the hospital because of how painful it is. So um, oh, n- now that no, doesn't mean that, that just that just low level chronic ache can't be gout, but characteristically um, it's most often very, very severe and, and people usually know um, when it is, but it could just be simply a mechanical issue. Do you do a lot of activity, like a lot of walking or a specific activity well, I, I work with motorcycles, so I'm constantly oh, okay. pushing bikes up, you know, an incline and using 
uh, like pushing off from my feet, right? So right. And I'm assuming you've, you've been r- riding motorcycles then for a long time in your life. Is that a good assumption or no? Uh, well, not, not uh, you know, 20 years. Okay, but part of riding a motorcycle so, yeah, is also yeah. using um, your feet and your toes to change gears, right? So is it on, on that side? Which side is this on? Both, both sides. Both sides, okay. So maybe, both feet. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, give me a call. We can definitely take a look at it uh, um, and try to figure out what it is. But I think that's, you know, what you got to do. There's not going to be a way that you're going to be able to figure it out on your own. Okay. Okay. Now, is this is this something where I have to get a referral to you, or nope. I can come and see you? No, nope. just give me a call, uh, book a, an assessment, and it's uh, you, that's it. That's all it takes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks, Lou. Appreciate that. One eight five. That's a good question. People don't. They could just call you. Yes, it's a great yeah, question. Yes, we don't yeah. uh, address that enough. No referral required. Just yeah. give me a call. Come in, and it's primary care. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U. And uh, Paul. Hey, good afternoon. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, brother. What's uh, what's going on with you? Uh, before I get into my situation, uh, I caught the end there about the gout. I think if you have gout, you know you have gout. The pain is just incredible. I've had it twice in my lifetime. Really? Yeah, it's char- characteristically. Yeah, characteristically, yes, but that doesn't mean that it's always that way. But yeah, you're right. In most of the cases that I've seen, it's excruciating pain, and and it's pretty characteristic the way it presents. Yeah, geez, the wind blows and you feel it on yeah. your toe. Yeah, for sure. Um, Usually even just people will describe that in the middle of the night, the, the weight of the bed sheets was like... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, the reason for my call is uh, I, I just got into the car as you were talking about uh, knee pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, my situation is I, I was involved in an auto accident many years ago and I had my PTL severed, um, my PCL severed. And so I had surgery to get that taken care of. My ACL and MCL were also damaged. Mm-hmm. And the surgery took place, uh, I don't want to say who the surgeon is, but very well known in, in the London area, Western University, <laughs> and uh, had the surgery. And what I ended up finding after the rehab was that after an hour or so walking around, my knee would just swell up like a balloon. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to rehab it and, and try different things, but nothing would work. It would always swell. So uh, about three years ago, I went back in and we did a second surgery called an HTO surgery okay. to realign the leg. And the, the idea was that maybe if we took pressure off of the knee, it would stop the swelling. Okay. What ended up happening is not only did it uh, not stop the swelling, but the swelling now is permanent. I have uh, my leg below the knee is, is much larger than my other leg. And so now um, the, the question is, the surgeon wants to go back in and take out all the hardware that was put in there, thinking that maybe that will solve my issue. Um, do you have any opinion on whether that might be uh, a good option to do? I'd, I'd have to review everything. I'd have to look at it all to, to come to an opinion. I'm not 100% sure um, if okay. it's something. I, I would say you, you maybe... Like, again, this is where a second opinion from someone, whether it's me or someone else, uh, is right, very important. Right. But it, we need to go into detail about this. This is it's more of a complicated case, right? Mm-hmm. We, we got to go through everything, look at the images, see what's going on, understand the, all the signs and symptoms. Um, and, you know, is that potentially a good option? I, I would I'd only have uh, an answer to that after I could actually assess you. Then I could give you an opinion on that. But understood. Uh, you, you mentioned about rehab in that earlier conversation. Yeah. Um, the fact that 
I had a lot of swelling uh, and the pain involved with it reduced the ability to rehab the way I should have. Yes. Do you think that could have had had an effect long term? Not doing the the proper rehab that should yeah. have taken place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely a potential, and that's where you know a lot of things. I mean, that that's the reality. Is sometimes people people want to do the rehab, but there's something external that prevents them, such as in your case, uh, right. where you know there was so much swelling. I mean, part of anytime we have somebody who's just undergone surgery. The first step is pain, swelling and pain management. That's what you got to control. Then you got to get their range of motion back. And once those things are there, that's when you can do proper rehabilitation. But you're right. What happens if you never get the swelling down and never get the pain away? How can you properly uh, start the rehabilitation component? So could that have had a long-term effect? Yeah. I mean, again, I can't confidently say for sure without um, reviewing. But in general, I would say if something prevents good rehab, then yeah, it can have a long-term effect. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L U to make that consultation. Have a chat right away. Info at paincarecanada.com. Still a few minutes to go. You want to get a phone call in or two? We'd uh, love to hear from you. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. The new start time for the show, of course, in the new year will be eleven a.m. Not twelve. Eleven a.m. Moving it back there. Uh, come the new year as well. Doctor Payne Show, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. 12.54. Still a few minutes to go here in the show. Again, uh, to reiterate, we will be moving the show till 11 a.m. for your convenience in the new year. I know you're looking forward to that as well. So Their convenience, yeah. potentially ours a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, I think sure. early, a little earlier is better anyways. Yeah, yeah but 11 o'clock in uh, 2018, um, please continue to listen. And we obviously uh, appreciate you listening. And we hope that you're learning something from this. I think a lot of people... Um, that I've seen through the last year have uh, listened quite a bit and they get a lot from the show. I actually recommend the patients, even patients that I see who don't listen to the show, to listen to it because this is a form Mm -hmm. of the cognitive behavior therapy in a sense when you start to understand uh, things, how pain works and different things that are out there. This is, you know, it's more specific than just Google for sure. Uh, And the advice that comes through, I think... uh, is important for people suffering from pain to to listen and, and and pick out the little bits of information that will help them. I think if they could t- if someone in pain like that, like you say, chronic pain can take one thing away from a daily basis. That study your CBT again. Look for good sources, but man, do your research because that is I've, I've used it and it's phenomenal. For CBT, it's, yeah, yeah, it's oh yeah, phenomenal. It, it's definitely. I mean. If you have chronic pain and all you do is CBT, are you going to be better? No, probably not. Right. But as a component. Uh, of it yeah absolutely and i mean we hear a lot about cbt for other things um you know anxiety depression phobias uh we very rarely talk about it for for pain uh but it's equally just as important all it is 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 changing people's faulty beliefs based on their preconceived notions to actual factual uh to actual facts based on what really happens it's like a phobia you know if someone's afraid of a dog they often think that every dog is going to attack them and bite Mm -hmm. them but the reality is that most dogs don't attack you and bite you, and really the only way for you to appreciate that is put yourself around that do- around dogs and see that that is not necessarily the case. And now, obviously, it's a little bit different how you go about the CBT for pain management, but um, it's similar. A lot of people with, with their pain are afraid. They'll say, no, I can't bend down right. uh, because I'm going to hurt myself. It's like, well, let's get you in a controlled manner trying to bend down and and you'll see that you're not going to hurt yourself, right? Because going back to hurt versus harm, some things... Um, are that do hurt you are not necessarily harmful, but sometimes things that don't hurt at all are potentially very, very harmful. And that's what CBT for pain management is. It's getting you thinking the right way around the pain that you're living with um, so that it's not taking over your life and it's not 
making you afraid of everything because people who who have chronic pain are just almost afraid to do anything they're just so worried well, yeah you can see why yeah of, of, of yeah. course and this isn't me criticizing uh, saying i can't understand i can absolutely understand and it's also the reason why i make this a recommendation for people suffering from chronic pain while I'll, why i do recommend that they need some type of psychological intervention um like cbt because it's so, especially, you know, take the lower back, for instance. I mean, people after a while, I've been through that too. You just, you, you're scared to do things. And the older you get, you want to do less. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. It, I mean, when you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, it just makes good sense. If, if an area that hurts, hurts you, you want to avoid trying to, you know, aggravate that area. And to an extent, that is true. You do want to minimize the bad things you do to that area. Right. Um, but it's also about learning what are the things that you can and cannot do. Uh, with that area that has that injury, because I mean, the reality is you got to keep living your life. And this is actually something that's harder with people who are athletes um, that are playing a, a specific type of sport and are actually hurting themselves with that sport. Sometimes I'll have the conversation with people and especially like teenagers, 19 uh, year olds or whatever, like someone who's playing hockey and they're past the point where they're really going to go anywhere with the hockey career, just kind of something that they mm -hmm. did. They were hoping that they were maybe going to go um, to the OHL and eventually to the NHL, but sometimes life just catches up, but they're suffering from injuries. What I usually have a conversation with people is say, you know, like sometimes you got to come to the reality. Is this something that you want to keep doing if it's going to continue to cause these issues long term? And it's very, very important that, you know, uh, someone in that scenario along with their parents thinks about those things and makes those right. decisions. And we had an, a, an example today of a person who called because of the sport they, they loved. They're undergoing knee pain. And so, you know, that's her choice. She wants to keep doing keep, that. Keep sport. curling. Yep. Yeah, but that's really it. But I guess uh, for now to everybody, uh, Merry Christmas, because that's the holiday that it is. If you don't celebrate Christmas, then still happy holidays. And we'll... Uh, uh, listen, next week, we're still on at 12 yeah. o'clock next week. We'll be week. back yeah. here for the last show of the year. And again, moving on into 2018, we move the show back from 11 to 12 as opposed to starting at 12. So looking forward to that. Till next time, Dr. Payne's show right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.